Welcome to the Grace at Last podcast. Here we hope you find freedom from religion and traditions passed down by man that God never intended for us to struggle with. Let's quit looking around us and begin to look within at God in us and realize all we need is already there. Together, guided by the Holy Spirit, let's learn what God really thinks of us and discover what is pleasing to Him. I think we're going to find out it's a whole lot easier than what we thought. for episode three of our Grace at Last podcast. In our last episode, I talked about the book of James and I told you that I wanted to take a little closer look and see what we can learn. I want to preface this with a couple of things before we get started. And one of them is I love the word of God. I love the scriptures. I'm a teacher and I have spent countless hours studying and meditating and teaching the word of God. Please don't misunderstand me and think that I'm saying that the Word of God is something that we cannot trust or that the Word of God is not important. I'm not saying those things. Every single word from Genesis 1-1 to the very last word in Revelation has value and is there to show us something about God. However, I am saying that I want to take a fresh look at some scriptures and see if those things line up with New Covenant Living which is the way that we are to interpret our inheritance. I have found that very few Christians know what the new covenant is, and we want to change that. The new covenant is what we've been given. It's a done deal. It is no working, no buying, no sacrificing, fasting involved. So together, let's take a look at the common teaching from the book of James and You can decide what you think is being said in this short little letter. The reason that I'm even talking about James is because I wrote a Bible study on the book of James. And if you could see my Bible right now, you would see that the pages on the book of James have disintegrated in the bottom right corner. I have turned those pages so many times that my fingers have literally worn off the pages. The book of James is one of the most colorful books in my Bible, if you know what I mean. I have looked at it from every angle. I have studied it, taught it, believed it, wrote a Bible study on it, and yet I missed some really important things. And these are the things that I want to discuss with you today. So let me start with saying that when I wrote the Bible study on the book of James, by the way, you won't find it for sale anywhere because I had mixed law and grace and unknowingly taught believers things in the book of James were for them when I believe some of the things written in the book of James is for unbelievers. I don't believe any book is written to solely believers or solely to unbelievers. The book of James and other books in the Bible are written to an audience for a speaker to share with a group of people. In that group, there are all kinds of levels of faith And the goal is to reach each person with a message of the gospel. I understand the challenge in writing to groups of people at different levels. If you listen to the previous episodes, you'll know that I taught women the Bible at Folsom Prison for about 10 years. During our church services on any given Sunday out of 100 women in the room, there was every level of faith that you can imagine. There were some that were in our theology class that were full-on knowledgeable about what the gospel was and had committed to it. And then there were some that were just considering what was being said and what they were hearing. 
We had some that were nowhere near believing in there for various other reasons, and sometimes they'd even get credit for being in some of our classes that would get them out of prison early, which can be a real motive. Some came just to be able to sit next to their girlfriend and to socialize, and and so the goal as a teacher would be that when every person left, that they had been encouraged and heard of the love of God in his son. So speaking to someone who is at the highest level in the room regarding understanding spiritual things, all the way down to the one who has no idea what the gospel is even about. The goal is that, as Ephesians says in chapter 1, verse 13, In Christ you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the goal was that they would hear and listen to the message of truth, the gospel, believe and be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I share that with you to let you know that I think the book of James was written with the same approach. I believe that James was also reaching those that had not come to a saving knowledge of who the Lord was, and he's trying to shake them up and warn them of what's ahead. And yet he has some really good encouragement and wisdom and insight for those of us that have already come to salvation and have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I want to take a minute to share with you why I believe this change has happened in my thinking and where it started and and in my understanding of the scriptures and see if maybe you can relate. Really, it all occurred because of COVID-19. I learned so much during that time by noticing how people responded differently to fears and warnings. I saw so many people doing things that they thought that they should be doing but they expected other people to do the same. Some people tried to control other people, and the media was all about everybody getting vaccinated, and then there was the conflict among one another on who should be vaccinated, who should not be vaccinated, and the ones that were were judging the ones that were not, and vice versa. And it was just such a time of awakening for me to understand the desire we have to control one another. The news was a huge eye-opener for me. Until COVID, we watched the news virtually every night at 5 o'clock with our dinner, and we believed most of what they were saying. And when we learned that it wasn't really very wise for us to believe everything that we were hearing on the news, well, things began to change in my thinking. And I realized that I needed to think for myself more, and that I could not just follow other people, even if they were my leader. And I'm not promoting rebellion or defiance, but I'm saying that people with wrong motives want to control us, and we better be on the alert. I have the incredible privilege and inheritance to be led by the Holy Spirit and not by man. That's not always popular with people, especially when they feel strong about their position and they don't understand others that don't. That lesson in regards to who I was going to listen to and who I was going to believe spilled over into virtually every area of my life, including the scriptures. I realized a lot of my beliefs had come from what other people had told me to believe about the Bible. And even though looking at it, sometimes it didn't make sense, I would just move on because there really wasn't a logical way to come to terms with some of the interpretations that I was hearing. And the book of James was one of them. 
And as I said in my last episode, I wrote the Bible study on the book of James. And while it was being edited and uploaded and printed and all those details that are required for printing is when I had this awareness of how I had mixed so much law in this new covenant of grace and how this was showing up in my personal life. I got the Bible study back, ordered a bunch of them for my class, opened it up and got ready to teach it and couldn't believe what I was seeing. Sometimes I would read what I had written and I would sit back and say, what did I just say? Those are the things that I want to talk about and how they can have such an impression upon us about who God is and about how our performance is going to cause him to respond, or at least that's what we think. A little bit of history regarding the book of James. As many of you know, James was the half-brother of Jesus. They both had the same mother. James did not believe that his brother Jesus was the Messiah until after Jesus had died and risen, and then James believed. James became a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and my understanding is that it's the very first New Testament letter written, believed to have been written around 46 to 49 AD. That to me is critical information because James did not have the Apostle Paul's writing on the new covenant of grace like we are so blessed to have today. I can understand the difficulty of coming out from under law and trusting in the message of grace. It can be kind of scary. It can feel somewhat irresponsible as if we're taking sin lightly. I always say, I think Jesus took it serious enough for all of us. So with James being the first epistle written, he might not have been grounded in the understanding of this event that had taken place in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, his half-brother. And what that meant for a new covenant perspective Repeatedly after the resurrection, James is mentioned, and often it seems to be from a works mentality. He may have brought a little law over into this new covenant that he had much more to learn about. We know this is true because many years later they gathered in Jerusalem and they were still fighting over this. Are we saved by faith alone or faith plus works? Paul and the others, they openly disagreed with James and they told him so. I say that because some of James's teachings are in direct contradiction to what the Apostle Paul said. Primarily that if we don't have works to back up our faith, our faith is as good as dead. The Apostle Paul says it is by faith and faith alone, and that we cannot earn it, and no man can boast. These two thoughts completely contradict one another. I guess if we want to believe James, then the question would be, what are the works and who decides? To begin with, the first thing that we want to remember is to follow the flow of the author and who his audience might be in his letter and move with him and with the things that we see in view of the other scriptures that we know in the new covenant. So let's jump into James. James chapter 1 verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. So the very first verse of James here tells us who he's writing to. He's writing to the Jews. James was talking to his Jewish brothers, and at times his brothers in the Lord. James says that they were dispersed or scattered. Israel, the Jews, had been scattered because of disobedience. They were in trials, and life was difficult. 
They were not with their own people in the temple making sacrifices and countless other traditions that they had always known. Persecuted for their faith, not accepted by many Jews and rejected by Gentiles too. And James, a leader in the fellowship of Jerusalem, wrote this letter to them. And he tells them, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, this verse here, it gave me a skewed perspective of who God really is. Think of this, trials. God says somehow we're supposed to find them joyous. Is that in every trial? Cancer? A broken heart? Losing a child? Divorce? I somehow thought that God wanted to use our problems and our trials to grow and mature us and that I needed to embrace them. I was taught that it's my responsibility to show the unsaved world how great God is and to do my part. Don't get me wrong, I naturally wanted to do these things that come with faith, but I somehow added the element that I could impress God with my good behavior. And when I'm really going to get it, that Jesus did the work, then I'm starting to understand the true gospel. He said it was finished and he took a seat. No boasting here, except that I have Jesus. That I can boast about. So does God hurl tests after tests to gauge our faith? Does he want to prove to us or to himself just how well we're doing in the faith department? After all, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we all want to please God, right? Or does he use these trials to make me perfect, complete, lacking in nothing? Is that even possible? And if so, do I obtain it depending on the way I handle my problems? Well, to a degree, I used to think God was testing us to grow our faith. Today, I know God doesn't test us to see the level of our faith. The world will test us. People test us. Our laws test us. Our spouse probably tests us. Our kids test us. Our job tests us. Traffic tests us. All Countless things will test us. God is not the one doing this. He does not test us in a way that he's trying to prove something to anyone. He's the one with the encouragement and the lifter of our heads when all these people, places, and things have tested us. I even thought that we had to pass the tests to be promoted in God's economy, and I taught that. I thought that we had to pass these tests and proclaim God's power to the next generation and that it was my responsibility, and that I couldn't fail in this, or others were going to pay the price. I thought I gained God's approval the better I handled my trials, and that that would get me more favor with God. After all, we all want God pleased with us, right? Well, of course, but I was going about it in a few areas that I was deceived into thinking that I could somehow manipulate God into rewarding me with more blessings. Does God make us perfect? Have I been made perfect? Yes. (laughs) I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. He does want us to grow up. He does want us to mature. But Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering, he, Christ, has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. That's me. (laughs) If you've been sanctified, that's you. And he has perfected us. 
James 1 verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, this starts out with the word but, and but is a contrast. And the contrast is what we just said, being perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, and then one that lacks wisdom. And the one that lacks wisdom can go to God who gives to all generously. But wait, he must ask in faith? I understand that we have a part to believe and that the wisdom that God gives us when we when he gives it to us that we respond in faith. But the problem that I have is verse 7 that says, For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul says that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that I have been raised. And in Ephesians 2.6, Paul says, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So how could I expect to receive nothing from the Lord if I struggle in faith and am double-minded? So that threat doesn't line up with the new covenant. That threat can't be talking to me because I'm already secure in what Christ has done. Another verse that really grabbed a hold of me was James 1.12. Verse 12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is a super important scripture that I needed to correct in my thinking. Can I read it again? Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Somehow I grabbed this verse and I ran with it. Because I thought that the book of James was written solely to Christians. I took this verse very personal. And I made it the theme of the Bible study. I dressed up, reenacted, casting crowns at the feet of Jesus. I did it all. I thought I needed to persevere and gain God's approval. And then I would get lots of crowns to show Jesus how much I trusted him. Well, this is false. I am approved completely and perfectly. And I'm going to go through some trials with some great faith. And some I'm going to feel like a complete failure. This is not going to affect my eternity, entrance into heaven, my encounter face-to-face -face with Christ, or any other thing that I've believed when it comes to God being more pleased with me the more I trust Him. The more I trust Him, the better my life is going to be. So God wants that for me. But God has accepted me in His Son. That word, prove yourselves, well, this has such a works connotation to it, like we need to prove anything to anyone. I think this verse caused me to judge others and if they were really saved or not. Again, thinking James was written to Christians, this would, would determine if we had a faith that was real. Prove it. <laughs> Let me see it. And we are not to judge. We are not the ones qualified to determine another person's spiritual condition. 
Nobody needs to prove anything to anyone. I like to say nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to hide, and nothing to prove. Why do I say it? Because there is freedom living like that. When we are not men-pleasers trying to prove anything to anyone but resting in the finished work of Christ, there is liberty. There is freedom. Okay, let's jump to verse 25 of chapter 1 in James. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, there you have it. (laughs) If I want to be blessed, I better start doing these things that the Bible says to do. Get busy, Corrine. Get your family busy. You want them blessed. Get your girlfriends busy. After all, this is how we get blessed, right? I mean, look at verse 26 to further expand just what we need to do to get busy, family and friends. (laughs) If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Kind of interesting what James does here. He says that we have a problem holding our tongue. Our religion is worthless. But then says in the next verse, the next sentence, that real religion is helping the orphans and the widows, not holding our tongue. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion And the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, whatever James was trying to say here, it sounds like works. It sounds like there's law all over it. And I don't think God wants to motivate us to do these things with a book or guilt or false gauges that determine ours or anybody else's level of spirituality. I think he wants us tuned into the spirit within us, and he will lead us into the behavior and the things that come with a life of faith, right? So there you have it. That's my take on James chapter 1. If I were going to write a Bible study today, led by the spirit within and not what the pulpits or the commentaries are saying about the book of James, This is what I believe about chapter one. I don't pretend to have it all figured out. I'm just an ordinary housewife, just a lover of Jesus like you. But God's given me his spirit to understand spiritual things. And I believe that when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, we can understand and interpret God's word in a way that does make sense. Well, I hope you tune in next time when we take a look at James chapter two which could quite possibly be the most questionable chapters in the New Testament. And interpreting it could be really challenging. So let's see what we can find out together. And until next time, may you rest in the finished work of Christ. And may you understand your incredible inheritance provided by the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today for our Grace at Last podcast. We hope you learned a truth that will set you free and keep you living in the It Is Finished promise Jesus declared at the cross. Go to lastministry.org to learn more about who we are and what we're all about as we share this incredible inheritance God has given us in His Son. 